0: Welcome to episode number 41 of the Road to Cinema podcast, featuring screenwriter Jesse Andrews of the new film Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, opening in theaters on Friday, June 12th. In this innovative coming-of-age story, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl tells the story of Greg, a high school senior who avoids friendship at any cost, except with his best friend Earl, who he spends most of his time with making parodies of classic movies. His outlook on life changes forever when he befriends a classmate who has just been diagnosed with cancer. On today's episode, Jesse Andrews discusses the development of his novel for Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, which became a bestseller. We'll also discuss the personal, real-life inspiration behind the story for Jesse, as well as how director Alfonso Gomez Rajan went to Pittsburgh, Jesse's hometown, and filmed in many of the real locations that Jesse grew up in. We'll also delve into Jesse's process for writing his very first screenplay and the mentorship taken in by producer and fellow screenwriter Dan Fogelman. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, to read the Road to Cinema blog, and to watch our Road to Cinema YouTube series, please visit jogroadproductions.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram, like us on Facebook, subscribe to our Jog Road Productions YouTube channel, And you can also write us a nice review on the iTunes podcast page for the Road to Cinema podcast. And by doing all of those things and engaging with us on social media, you'll be entered into a contest to win a free download of the Final Draft screenwriting software brought to you by our friends at Final Draft. And now we join screenwriter Jesse Andrews as he discusses the inspiration behind writing Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, which opens in theaters on Friday, June 12th.
1: I wanted to write something funny, and I wanted it to be about something that was not funny at all, you know. So I uh, I, I had written two books before that point, uh, which were unpublishable, you know, it was pretty terrible. And that was, you know, me learning how to write and what not to do, basically. And, uh, you know, and they did not get published. And so, I, you know, I just I, I wanted to kind of simplify it, make something that really rewards the reader for, for reading it and does that by being funny, but about something. So as far as the specific story, I mean, it's not my own story. I was, you know, lucky enough to not have this happen to to anyone who was close to me in high school. Um, But as I was preparing to write it, um, my grandfather was terminally ill. And so, you know, I was thinking a lot about how exchanges with him were never, you know the the regret that you would feel that I would feel after after talking to him that I you know I didn't say the right thing or I didn't do the right thing and I wish I could do it again but even if I had that probably wouldn't be right either I would still recriminate myself and you know I was watching my mother go through this and others in my family and uh, I I just knew you know if I can make something funny about that then that's worth that's worth making Um, or I'm just a monster, you know. But one, one or the other, and uh, you know. And I, I had someone I knew in the industry
2: suggesting that I write a book for, for and about uh, teenagers. And yeah, that so originally worked. were you thinking of doing it out like focusing on death, but outside of teenagers in a way. No, it, it started
1: with the teenage thing. Let's write something yeah. funny for teenagers about something hard, and then it became you know about death or, or the the likelihood of death, you know, the, the beginnings of grief and, you know, and, and that was a thing, that was a trope that I knew existed in uh, young adult fiction too and often had, you know, a kind of moralistic uh, quality to it, you know, there's some kind of tidy lesson teaching that would happen and, and you know, and usually like romance to some... Doomed, uh, the romance would happen, and I just wanted to do something different with it and wanted to bring a kind of
2: realism to it. you know yeah. um, so that was that was the hope. Uh, for you when you're working on a novel specifically, are you thinking of characters? Are you building out the story before you really sit down and write the first page? Um I have a rough sketch of the story, but it's um, I, I usually write pages to
1: figure out who these people are and figure out what they say and how they interact with each other what they do and
2: only voice uh, a particular part of that as well
1: yeah that's a huge part of it although that changes too it's it's often about getting it wrong so that you can eventually get it right you know and have them say some stuff and okay that's completely wrong but you know i have to leave it in there until i know what the right thing is and you know my entire process is just about writing the bad version until the one bad version teaches you what the good version would be. Yeah?
2: Yeah. Uh, Transferring it into a film, was that ever in your mind when you were writing the novel? Did that ever cross your... No, not at all. (laughs) Or even film in general, when you were writing novels, did you ever think about being a screenwriter or...
1: I I never had any any desire to... Not desire. I never had any... It just never occurred to me that that was something that I could do. You know? Um, And that seemed like a much more institutionalized kind of of way of writing, you know, that like you really can't be outside of the gates and trying to do that, you know. Um, You have to have like some people telling you how to do it, you know, you need to be aware of the conventions and, and yeah, you need to have some connection to the people who hopefully will one day make this thing, you know. Whereas like writing a novel You know, any idiot can do that, and you just like sit down and type. And then eventually that thing is the thing. Um, You know, uh, screenwriting seemed to have much more of a connection to like, you know, terminology, you know, jargon. Um, And I, I just didn't have any of that. But then, you know, my agent puts the book in front of Dan Fogelman and he says, let's try to have the author write the script. And um, and there were there are passages in the book that take the format of a screenplay, but that wasn't honestly. Those are in there because I think they just look very funny, you know. There's just a lot of comedy and like the disconnect between the sort of the the kind of formality of you know that presentation and what's actually happening and being said. Because there's a lot of just Greg's dumb stream of consciousness stuff or these exchanges that are you know full of repetitions and pauses and hopefully you know some like kind of teenage naturalism
2: um that looks really like out of place and funny Funny. in that for you did anything change from the novel to writing the screenplay did you see the story in a different light or any of the characters uh differently
1: sure sure i did um yeah a lot changed um and one, i maybe the biggest conceptual change is that the book is in the first person and the movie a, a movie kind of can't be in the first person. Even if it's got voiceover, you're still outside of the main character, and you also see the other characters as they are rather than as this character sees them. You know, so in the book, I you get much more incomplete um, glimpses of the characters, the people in Greg's world, um, because he's the one narrating it, and he doesn't really learn to pay attention until the end. This, in, in some ways this is the story of him learning to pay attention to other people. Um, where he sees them more clearly as
2: the story progresses in a way.
1: Yeah, he sees them more fully, you know, realizes, you know, the, the assumptions that he makes about them, realizes the ways in which any person can surprise you. You know, any person has more to them than you'll ever understand. You know, that's that's hopefully that's the worldview of of the book and the movie, and you know that's kind of my personal worldview. Uh, so I was reading um, that
2: Dan Fogelman was really a huge mentor to you as you were working on the screenplay and yeah, yeah. learning how to be a screenwriter, in a sense. Um, so I'm sort of curious if there were any lessons that you learned from him in that process.
1: Yeah, there really were. Um, there are more than I can even articulate to myself, but uh, you know, the biggest the biggest lesson was was just to like, you know, just make mistakes, you know, and th- that was something that he told me at the beginning, you know that he didn't want me to over educate myself about the form before trying to write a script. He said, you know, buy some screenwriting books if you if you want to do that, that's fine, and I support that. But if you don't want to do it, I really don't want you to feel obligated to do it. you know, and you might even mess yourself up a little bit you know, you you need to make the mistakes that you're going to make. And some of them will have to correct, but then some of them, some of the quote-unquote mistakes will be the reason this, this script is distinctive and interesting, and we don't know until you make them. So, okay. you know, it was a lot about process. I mean, a lot of, like, you know, the mechanics of screenwriting, I almost learned more from observation than from him teaching to me. You know, I would just read his scripts and see the seamless ways in which he would build to a reveal in this way where it's both inevitable, but also totally surprising, you know, and that's just, that's art as well as craft. And that's something that he does so well. And, you know, and I would feel it like in the way that he would pitch me on things too. I, I came to understand the ways in which in a screenplay, you can use a, a thread of storyline to stand for something larger. For example, the way in which, um Greg's feelings about college are a reflection of his feelings about really his future, you know, the rest of his life and so his, his optimism or pessimism about college as we track it through the movie follows, you know, his, his feelings about just the, the future, what's in store for him you know, his possibility, potential um, and yeah the college, that book, you know is yeah. a, a neat little way of doing it
2: Uh, I was curious as well, um, you know, when Afonso came on to develop the film further, Mm -hmm. did, you know, he has such a strong visual style that you see in the film, did he sort of implement onto you, like, I see, you know, something, I see this scene looking this way, or I see this music, or any kind of visual cues that kind of inspired you more as you were writing? Well, we we would talk about that kind of stuff,
1: but I mean, basically, as far as, like, how the movie looks and how that, is conveyed in the script. It's really kind of not. And what I really wanted to do instead with the script was just to convey the tone and give him as much freedom as possible to decide how he was gonna enforce that tone or you know, make it richer and more complex uh, by adding himself to it. Um, and yeah, as soon as he came on board, the process became as just entirely about giving him whatever he wants and whatever he can work with and anything that he can use wonderful if it's something that he's having trouble using it needs to be replaced with something better that that suits him better yeah. cuz yeah i just knew like this is this is a guy who <laughs> if you let him make the thing he wants to make
2: you know, yeah, it's going to be Some screenwriters incredible. talk about being left out of the process when the director comes on, but did you yeah. feel you were really a collaborator? No. Oh, like my this God. this was yeah. really a team effort. It
1: was a team effort, although I don't want to oversell, you know, my authorship of this movie. You know, he yeah. he directed the shit out of this movie, you know. So it's <laughs> like, I just tried to make the script a sort of living document, you know, that responded to his needs and the actor's needs and everything. Um, you know, and just be a part of this team. You know, such a cool team.
2: Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. you so, you know, yeah. Pittsburgh is where you're from. It's where the story takes place. Mm-hmm. When Alfonso, when you knew that Alfonso wanted to shoot in Pittsburgh, was it a surprise to you that he was going to go to your house? He was going to go to your school. That he was really going to
1: yeah, give you, a- your,
2: you into the movie in a sense, in <laughs> the past. Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> that was that was weird. And there, you know, there was not. He didn't intend to do that until. Until he saw my house, and then until he saw my school. Um, so he was out location scouting in Pittsburgh. Yeah, he was looking location, for the perfect place. Exactly, so. yeah. And he just, you know, he stopped by my parents' house just to say hey to my parents, and also my brother-in-law was a sort of uncredited location scout, kind of. So you know, just he piled into the van with Alfonso and the producers and Jerry, the production designer, and um, you know, and guided them around too. He runs uh, Bike Pittsburgh which is so he has a great sense of the city and how it looks and where stuff is Um, and yeah you know he he just the whole bunch of them went over to my parents place and you know and they walked in and they were like oh this house is kind of you know it's kind of distinctive it's interesting And uh, yeah, my dad was really against the whole idea. He hated that idea until it happened. And then he was completely (laughs) on board with it. All the camera equipment and the trucks and all that stuff. That
2: wasn't uh, Yeah, he uh,
1: didn't (laughs) he didn't love that idea. But actually, the thing he hated the most was just he was like, I don't want to have to not live at my house for two weeks. You know, it's like, I don't want to live at a hotel. It's like, well, I got that. Was it pretty much uh, set dressed from scratch? Like, did, were, was furniture moved out and everything? They used a lot of the stuff that's in there. Really? You know, so that bookcase behind the, you know, the shot of Greg and Earl that was one of the first shots to be used sort of for publicity. You know, those are mostly my parents' books. That's like a little bucket of toys that my sisters and I played with growing up. Yeah. You know, yeah.
2: Uh, you talked a little about how like Greg really isn't you in a sense like the circumstances that happened around him but the mm-hmm. feelings that Greg was going through when you know in high school was that you at all was, was any of that sort of friend f- making friends with different groups and not yeah. really committing to one set
1: Sure sure somewhere. some of, some of that was me
2: although I I had
1: closer friends than than Greg did you know um I also went to a school that you know, the, all the groups kind of bled into each other. And, you know, there, there were kids really from all walks of life, you know, it's very like racially and sort of class wise diverse. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so everyone is kind of like traveling among circles too. Um, but yeah, in Greg, I wanted to write a character who, who kind of thinks that he's the only one who does that. Yeah. you know that it's it's almost this like unconscious manifestation of like teenage ego you know teenage self-involvement you know you just can't see beyond what's what's outside of your own head yeah I'm um,
2: a huge fan of uh, burden of dreams that documentary oh, yeah. the film so much yeah, when yeah. was your first kind of initiation into that movie it, into Herzog. well yeah. I started with Gira
1: wrath of God um and that was uh that was when I was pretty pretty young maybe 11 12 13. And specifically, what that movie means to me, and you know, Werner Herzog, and that that part of Herzog's work, Fitzcarraldo, you know, Fitzcarraldo, yeah. exactly, um, Cobra Verde, uh, what what all those mean? I was introduced to them by my older sister, basically, who was just out of the blue one day. It's like, hey, A Girl of the <laughs> got this movie's awesome. You need to see it. And I was like, oh, okay, and I, I I was just delighted that she was like, you know sharing something with me and not, you know, like denigrating, you know, because we had this like older yeah. sibling, younger sibling thing. Anyway, she shows me this, um, you know, and I, I sit down and I watch the movie and it's amazing, you know, but it's also it was so unexpected kind of coming from her that like it, it just, I realized, you know, it was this flash of like your sister is like so much more interesting and complicated than you had thought. Previously, then your little thirteen-year-old mind had just conceived of her as this person. She's four years older than you, and she's, you know, uh, kind of tough and yeah. you know frightening. But actually, she also has this great curiosity and sense of humor. And so that movie, to me, stands in for that revelation. Anytime that people are always more interesting and surprising and complex than than you think
2: definitely yeah um, I wanted to wrap things up by talking about the premiere at Sundance, which oh, sure, was an incredible sure. reception to the film. Yeah. what was that like seeing people have such a visceral emotional reaction to something that you've been working on for so long, dating back to the novel and then into the script
1: yeah it's, I mean yeah it's really incomparable you know um, it's, it's exactly what you hope for, but you also I came to a you know i i was already at a place in my life where i had really come to value process over outcome you know and if i'm making the things that you know that i i want to make and um you know and and in being open and you know disciplined and 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 empathetic then you know, that's, that's all I can control. So whether the thing gets published or not, whether the movie gets made or not, you know, as long as I do well in the things that I can control, then I can, you know, I can sleep at night and feel, yeah. feel good about it. And so, you know, and that sustained me through a time when the outcomes were not, like, very good, you know, and the response was not very good. And then it becomes the philosophy that you have to still kind of cling to when when stuff is going really well. Um, and, I, and I'm sorry, that's a very abstract answer. But oh no, but it makes
2: sense because process, you know, sometimes is yeah. more important to focus on that as opposed to sort of. Yeah, to me, it's always more yeah. a good, you know, compliment or exactly a compliment which may or may not come. So you always have to. You can't. Yeah, you can't
1: write for compliments. You can't write for praise. You just have to write honestly and thoughtfully and, and just put as much of yourself as you can into it um so but then when like you who you do it seems succeed in making this thing that you that you wanted to make and like actually connect to people and reach people i mean my god you know it's just it's like such a gift you know you you just feel such gratitude for having gotten the chance to do it um and uh you know, it's, I, I, I just felt v- like very lucky and kind of made stupid by all of it. And I was just like wandering around, like seeing other movies too. And the idea that like, I get to share company with these other filmmakers, you know, the other inhabitants of this world. Um, it just felt really, really, yeah. and I mean, I was also just waiting for the other shoe to drop, like some karmic, you know, <laughs> thing to happen to write the balance. Uh, so, so yeah yeah. mostly like guilt and shame I would yeah. say is what I felt
0: well, well I love the film and I really appreciate you uh, taking the time today Jeff thanks, thanks so man. much
1: thank you